the podcast for the inquisitive diver. Hey there, dive buddies, and welcome to the show. I've had a few conservationists on the show now, and the opinion that I'm forming is that the unified message sometimes gets lost through politics, lack of education, and simply too many differences of opinion. One such topic is that of the shark control measures off the Australian coastline. Now, we've heard in recent episodes how conservation groups, foundations, and charities are working together to increase the solidarity of the overriding requirement to ensure a voice is heard. The voice that needs to be heard stems from those that cannot speak our language, simply our wildlife within the world's oceans. Fortunately, we do have many voices that can speak for them and recognise their importance in our existence. Today, I have the extreme pleasure of welcoming him onto the show, a man who has worked tirelessly to draw together recognisable faces, voices, their experiences and his skills as a director in creating a sensational documentary film, M. Voice Shark Call. Andre Borrell. Welcome to the show, buddy. Well done. Thank you. Look, looking forward to being here and wh- where we go with this conversation. There's so many options. It's such a layered topic. So, yeah, let's let's hook in. Let's let's talk about uh, shark culling and filmmaking. I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I've got to say, I I watched it. Um, well, I was set to watch it last Wednesday with the the premiere, and I had my tickets. I had the perfect position in the cinema in George Street in Sydney, <laughs> and. It was, it was just fantastic. So looking forward to it. And then obviously COVID gets in the way again. 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 Um, but having had a quick convo with you back and forth, I managed to watch it online at home. And it's simply a fantastic documentary. And I can't applaud you enough on the work you've put into it. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm honestly quite um, surprised and overwhelmed by by the feedback. There is there is it sort of exceeded my expectations. As a filmmaker, you you watch something a hundred times through the editing process, and you know you you know your work a little too well, and you pick you pick holes in it, and then um, to see it actually go out to audiences and um, the the yeah the overwhelmingly positive reaction has been really. Really nice. Uh, it it um, seems to be a, a enjoyable watch, a confronting watch at sometimes, educational, but most importantly, for a documentary of this type, is it seems to inspire people. So, yeah, thank you. My pleasure, and it it is an inspiration as well. I mean, you've pulled together some uh, amazing people, and for those that are listening, uh, they might recognise the narrator himself, um, Eric Banner. How the hell did you get Eric Banner onto your show? <laughs> <laughs> I um, when when this when the idea for this project was just first, you know, just an idea in the back of my head that that wouldn't wouldn't go away, it kept coming back, coming kept coming back, and um, I knew I knew it needed to do something a little bit different to most most conservation films to make sure it reached reached outside kind of our bubble, if you like, to mm-hmm. to um speak not not just you know preaching to the converted so to speak but to reach outside of that and i thought one great way to do that would be a, a well-known obviously with our cast and uh, th- that we had on screen but i also thought a narrator could play an important role in that and uh just his 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 voice his tone of voice i felt like suited the issue perfectly um so yeah just from from literally day one i was like imagine if you get eric banner like he'd be perfect fit. <laughs> um and then we did we we approached his management and um yeah, he, he looked into the issue, obviously, because he realized that, he, you know, by virtue of being a narrator, become kind of a bit of a spokesperson for this issue. So he looked into the issue, 
couldn't believe what he found, uh, much like me when I first learned about this issue. Uh, and yeah, it, it all happened pretty quick, to be honest, like, like between and pitching it to, uh, yes, uh, yes. And signing contract it was all fairly fast process after he did his due diligence. So yeah, still pinching myself if I'm honest, but uh, <laughs> there's, there's no, uh, there's no crazy story of, you know, we were trapped in an elevator together and I chewed his ear off or anything. It was all formal through the, through the correct channels. And, um, yeah, it obviously struck a chord with him, which is, which is really cool. Really, really cool. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. And, um, you know, before we get on to the rest of the lineup as well, let's just take it back a little bit because this is not something that's created overnight. And it's got to come from um, maybe a personal passion of yourself. But wh- where did the idea initially come from? I, I grew up in Queensland, uh, in Brisbane, so not on the beach, but regularly, all, every school holiday would would uh, would visit either the Sunshine Coast or the Gold Coast. And born, bred, grew up here. It wasn't until my mid to late 20s, I don't remember exactly when it was, when I actually learned what shark nets are and what drum lines are and what those bright colored boys you see off popular beaches are. Um, and and the only way I learned about it was after having gotten into scuba diving and, and um, being a bit more aware of, I guess, environmental issues. Uh, that's when I learned about it. And I was like, I couldn't really believe that, you know, you can grow up somewhere and and not be aware of such a serious environmental issue that is literally happening 500 metres from the most popular uh, and, and well-attended beaches. So, um, look, I was a little bit embarrassed being a scuba diver. I was uh, quite angry at what was happening. So these beautiful animals, that many of which I hadn't even seen yet, in, like in real life. Mm. Um, I was seeing on Sea Shepherd's Instagram page dead in shark nets, uh, and I was, yeah, it just started. I guess it pu- pushed all my buttons. It was a waste of taxpayer money, which which grinds my gears. <laughs> it, <laughs> kind, it kind of. Uh, it, yeah, it pushed all my buttons uh, and the idea wouldn't go away. And I think that's when you know you've got an idea for a project that you kind of got to tackle is when you try and put it to one side and it you, you can't. It keeps coming back. It keeps coming back. It keeps coming back. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's how I became aware. It was through social media, through Sea Shepherd. Um, and I believe you've had you've had John O'Clark on, on a previous episode um, yeah. speaking about what they do in exposing this. Jono's part of the film. Uh, sea Shepherd gave us a lot of their footage, their archive footage of the horrible stuff they've documented over the years in these shark nets and on mm-hmm. these drum lines. And yeah, look, the the idea just wouldn't go away. Started reaching out to people such as Jono to gauge their interest in in being involved. Um, and yeah, it, it, from there it just snowballed. Like once it got going, uh, more and more people said yes. More and more people heard about what we were trying to do. More and more people were offering footage and interviews and blah blah blah. And uh, yeah, here we are. Not that in documentary filmmaking terms, not the, not that long a time period. Mm. Kind of two and a half years from first frame being shot to to it actually being out. Okay. So two and a half years later, um, yeah, it's released and out in the world uh, via cinemas and at home viewing for lockdown people very recently, and then uh, coming to streaming pretty shortly. So uh, been a bit of a whirlwind. It's probably the best way to summarise it. Yeah. I, well, I did say you say about streaming. I did. I did notice that um, it's available on an Amazon platform. I think it's in the US. Is it? Yeah. So Discovery Plus. It's on Discovery Plus, right. which is Discovery's new streaming platform for US mm. and UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, a bunch of other European regions and stuff. Um, I believe. I believe our sales agents just tidying up the the finer details of deals to get it into the other other regions um, over that part of the world. Uh, and then in Australia, we can't announce it quite yet, uh, but uh, I'll update you as soon as I can. 
Um, I'm sure you can put the details in the show notes, but it's going to be going on quite a good Australian streaming platform. Uh, we just can't we can't talk about quite yet because not all yeah. the eyes are dotted and the T's <laughs> crossed. But um, yeah, good result in terms of in terms of streaming. Um, it, it is it is is not Netflix, but it's the the clear second best option for Australia. So yeah. that again will hopefully get it in front of your you, you know your average Joe, your average your average mum and dad viewer, and and get this issue the attention it deserves. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, it's it, we, we talk about and we are focusing on Australia because that's the the topic of conversation. However, I think a, a global awareness on this issue is something that's going to be a huge factor going forward with you know the representation that you've that you've formed against these archaic measures yeah i I think look there's different ways that that you can inspire a a government into change i think and 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 sometimes you've got to use the carrot and sometimes you've got to use the stick and on this issue the carrot hasn't been working you know they've had scientists and all sorts of people advocating for um modernization of these programs and and making them more humane and also more effective for people at the beach that's been happening for a long long time so i kind of came into the issue from the outside and went okay let's try the stick and we'll make something that 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 shows just how horrible these programs are Mm. um which isn't hard to do it's not hard to show the, the, the the absolute atrocity that they are um uh, yeah we thought we'd create that and put it out to the world including you know globally and you know maybe the stick of being embarrassed on the world stage um maybe being beaten beaten over the head with that will inspire change we'll see yeah well i hope so i really hope so because um, and I, i've not stopped looking into this uh topic since speaking to john on the podcast and that's that's been some months now and I just can't find and fathom why this is still going on. It's, and, and you, you cover it so well in the doco itself. Um, and the government just staying silent, just not responding. It, I, I'm having a hard time finding an excuse for them whatsoever. I, I like to play devil's advocate, but I really can't on this one. Look, and we tried to play a devil's advocate making the film. Like, we really did. We're like, where's the evidence as to why this is going on? Like, it makes no sense. And we asked the Queensland and the New South Wales Departments of Fisheries um, to, you know, be part of the film, uh, mm. sit down for an interview, and they refuse. We were on the project recently, Australian news, evening news program. Um, they, ref- you know, they heard our side of the story, and obviously news being news, they have to go to the other side for balance. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to talk to them either. They they. They hide. They hide. And to me, there's only one reason you hide, and that's when you know you're wrong. If you had facts and science and everything on your side, um, and you're you're the, the the government minister or or, or, or the, the public servant responsible for running these programs, um, you would not mind sitting down with me or a reporter from the project or a journalist. You would not mind sitting down and um, putting putting forward your side of the story. No, here's why we still run these programs. Yes, it's bad. It kills animals. Yes, um, there's bycatch and we kill animals we don't mean mean to. But here's the evidence as to why it's important we keep doing it. If you were confident in your program, you would do that. But but they're not. Mm. They're not. They hide. They hide behind a desk and they hide behind nonsense, fluff, political spin written statements because they don't want to be on camera. They they, they hide behind these written statements that say nothing uh, or deceive um, and they, they don't want to have the conversation on it because they know they would absolutely get picked to pieces because 
uh, yeah, nothing's on their side. Not facts, not science, not ethics, not morality. No, nothing is on their side when it comes to these programs. So yeah. the only reason they keep running it is to cover their own bums. They don't want to be the one that made the decision uh, to replace nets with, with a better alternative and then something still happens at those beaches because nothing is 100%. Mm-hmm. Nets and drum lines, they're 0% effective. You know, drone, drone surveillance might be 75% effective at spotting at spotting sharks. Um, it might not always work. Uh, personal deterrence, for example, that you can wear as a diver or a surfer um, when nets and drum lines aren't going to cover you. They might not be 100% effective. They might only be 90% effective, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, so they're scared to make the move to something else. Something may still happen because there is no silver bullet that 100% protects you. Um, and then they will get crucified for that, even though they've replaced nets and drum lines, which is not effective at all. Yeah. Well, let's let's just clarify for those people that probably haven't listened to Jono's episode. Um, and just to reiterate, Jono is the coordinator for Sea Shepherd's Apex Harmony, which focuses on drum lines and shark nets up in Queensland and a bit of New South Wales, I believe, as well at times. Um, do you want to just explain the two issues that we've got here for those that are new to the subject? Absolutely. So in New South Wales, it's called a Bather Protection Program. In Queensland, it's called a, called a Shark Control Program. Both of them are actually a shark culling program. They are designed through the two methods that I'll go into in a second, shark nets and drum lines. They're designed to catch and kill sharks to reduce the local population of sharks. Um, the logic being when these programs were introduced, which is 1937 and 1962 respectively, New South Wales and Queensland, the logic being less sharks mean, means look, uh, less shark bites. We now know through decades and decades of data that does not work. A shark bite is such an inherently rare event um, fishing down a population doesn't make a difference unless you were to get rid of every shark, which is obviously not going to happen and a terrible, terrible, terrible idea for the ecosystem. Um, the, this, pro, this style of program is never going to be effective. A shark net is, like I said, a fishing device. A lot of people think it's a barrier, that it separates sharks from humans or that it's really long and it encloses a beach or encloses a bay. It's not. They are, in New South Wales, they are 150 metres long, bottom set, they're only six metres high. They sit, sit in about 12 metres of water. So they're comically small. If you think they're a barrier, they're comically small. Mm. They're not a barrier. They're there to catch and tangle and kill sharks. They're also very effective at doing that to other animals, um, which are recorded as bycatch. Queensland's net is ever so slightly different, 183 metres long, uh, six metres deep again, but they're top set, so they only cover the top half of the water column. New South Wales cover the bottom half of the water column. Again, no attempt to be a barrier, no attempt to keep sharks away from uh, swimmers or surfers, purely there to catch, entangle, drown sharks. Uh, Again, kill a lot of other animals as well. Mm. Drumlines are just a baited hook, a big baited hook hanging from a a boy, a bright fluorescent boy that is anchored to the bottom, to the seafloor. They are baited and they're there to attract sharks hopefully hook them um, and that shark will either die over time or when the contractor comes along next to rebate the hooks and he finds a shark that's still alive if it's one of 19 target species in queensland uh, that that shark will be killed um, if it's a different animal it, it would be released in whatever state that happens to be in yeah. that's the core mechanics of the program it is a fishing program and it is very successful at catching and killing things what it is not very successful at is reducing the likelihood of shark bite 
uh, at beaches that have this equipment. Mm. I there's so many um, different factors in there as well that we can pick holes in, and mm. you certainly do that through your cast on the um, on the show on the doco. Um, but one thing I wanted to point out as well on the the nets, uh, you mentioned the 186 meters long in Queensland, and only six meters depth, uh, and they're designed to apparently catch sharks um but the mesh size of the nets is only 500 millimeters which it doesn't take a scientist to work out that anything that's longer than your arm is going to get caught up in that and when we're talking about bycatch you're looking at everything dolphins rays um in some instances humpback whales in quite a few instances actually looking at the figures over the years. And Jono was saying that they're now restricted. They're not allowed to go near the nets. Yeah, that, that, that's a really interesting one. And when you dig into the, 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 the reasoning they use to defend their decision to put that exclusion zone in place, they call it a 20-meter exclusion zone. Can't mm. go within 20 meters of shark control equipment. Um, it's clearly in place for organizations like Jono. Or, or like John on Sea Shepherd or, or filmmakers like me to mm. not be able to capture this horrible footage because when this horrible footage is shown to the world, the program looks very, very, very bad. Mm. Um, so that's clearly why it's in place. They say, yeah, th- this, is wh- this is where you see just how sinister and how disgusting and how low the government will go mm. um, in the, the logic they used to justify putting in a 20-meter exclusion zone was saying it's for safety reasons and it's dangerous equipment and uh, people have died in it, so therefore we need a 20-meter exclusion zone. What they didn't mention is the one fatality that has happened from being entangled in shark control equipment was 27 years before that exclusion zone was implemented. Mm. So if it's really about safety, 27 years is a long time to have a think about it. Um, it was also, a, I believe, an 11-year-old boy that it happened to. So this is where it gets dark in terms of, you have to have a very, very hard, good look at these people that are supposed to be representing you and supposed to be there in power um, doing what's right for the community. And they use the death of an 11-year-old boy 27 years ago to pass an amendment to the Fisheries Act to protect their own interests. That's pretty disgusting. It's, it's well, quite frankly, it's sick, isn't it? Yeah, you, like, have a good hard look at yourself, for mm. God's sake. Like, mm. whoever decided that was an okay idea to A, make the decision and then B, use that, use that to, as the spin to put on it and justify it. Like, mm. seriously, have, have a good hard look in the mirror. It's, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a joke. It's, a, it's no surprise that politicians get a bad rep when that kind of thing occurs. Yeah, that one really riles me up. And, 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 through, um, and through sheer, like, coincidence and, like, this weird seven degrees of separation stuff, um, as we were near the completion of the film, we had no plans to include this person, but as we were near the completion of the film, someone who knew someone who knew someone knew um, the best mate of that boy who, mm. who, who, who did pass away 27 years ago. Um, and, yeah, he, he, he reached out and wanted to be part of it and tell his side of the story, and he was there the day it happened. So, um yeah, uh, that that was just the weirdest of coincidences how that came to pass, and and it's one of the probably one of the more moving moments in the film when he talks about that day and what he thinks of the government using his his best mate when he was a kid 
that's death 27 years ago for their own cause. It's yeah. yeah. And it, he does an exceptional job as well. Hats off to him for, for speaking out the way he does. Must have been and that's one of the, and that's, uh, I believe he said it's one of the first, um, first times he's ever spoken about it, not just publicly, just like ever. Wow. So yeah, huge, huge amount of, um, gratitude to him for, for having the courage to do that. And, and, um, yeah, he did it because of his position on these programs, which is uh, they don't work and they kill a lot of stuff and they're they're a joke. Mm. Um, and, and obviously, the, the added fuel on the fire, what what tipped him over the line to to reach out and say I need to say something here, was a press release the Queensland government put out to justify their twenty minute exclusion zone that used his friend's death, and he went, no, this <laughs> is this, yeah, 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 disgusting. There's no other word for it. Yeah. I can only imagine. Now, um, talking of um, you know shark incidents, you also um, have a lot of input from Paul de Gelder, who um, recounts his incident in quite a bit of detail, and he's not afraid of coming forward in support of sharks, even though he's now missing two limbs. Yeah, I think I think. Um I think that's an important part of the story to tell. Mm-hmm. And and to be honest, like when I was sitting down and going, who do we want to talk to and who do we want to interview, um, a shark bite survivor didn't actually jump to mind immediately. Uh, but it was once we got deeper in the process, I was like, no, 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 this is um, uh, that and surfers and a voice, voice from the surfing community mm-hmm. um, was lacking. And I was like, no, 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 we've got to get this. We've got to get this side of things as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, Paul, Paul went through something horrible and horrific and he's just such an advocate for sharks and such a top guy. Like, honestly, he's such a generous guy with his time and, and, uh, and his reach of his audience and stuff like that. Like he's a, he's just a, he's just a good dude. And, um, yeah, it's, it, it's, it would be easy for him to hate sharks and think that they should all die after what happened to him. Mm. Uh, but he goes the opposite way because, uh, as as many shark bite survivors do, but probably him to a to an even greater level than than most people. So yeah, such such an advocate for sharks, and that's pretty incredible considering what he went through. Yeah, yeah, and I think the, the one of the factors that we've got to play in this as well is that you know people's fear and that fear. We're living in an era at the moment, going from the seventies onwards, where the shark was the um, the horror story in the movies, and you know I as a kid. I was I was born in the seventies, so going into the eighties, you wouldn't get me anywhere near the water. Hell no, I wouldn't even put a toe in it. Uh, <laughs> um, but I think now that you've got the likes of um, the younger generation coming through, like Madison uh, Madison Stewart, who are advocating, um, they're probably not having to be brought up with that experience of, of fearing what's in the water. Uh, did um, did you find any of that? Uh, going through your research look i I think yes we did we did speak to some some scientists and and other other researchers that have looked into what plays into the human perception of of sharks and and our almost irrational statistically speaking almost irrational fear of sharks Mm. and and hollywood plays a role uh and media do play a role as well And, and and look a lot of um a lot of people in this space like to just royally bash the media and say you're you're the problem. Um, you know, you you make them out to be monsters and man eaters and blah 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 blah, which is true. Like you lose use you see the language used in in the reporting of a shark bite, um, and, and that is true. But I also 
I, I, I don't take it out in most cases on the individual journalist. Mm. Like they've got a decision or, or an instruction or a mandate from higher up to sensationalize and do what sells and have a headline that gets clicks and use imagery that gets clicks. Like that's not journalist. In most cases, mm. there's some bad eggs, but in most cases, that's not journalists making that decision. That's that's higher ups going, we know this works commercially. If we hype up these incidents and use this type of injury and this type of wording, we get this many more percentage of clicks and that translates to this many more ad dollars. Like mm. I, I, I see how it's gotten here, um, but that doesn't make it okay, but I also kind of get it. Like like most people there are just trying to do their job and then they have a, have a headline writer or the person who chooses the imagery kind of come and sensationalize the, 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 the hell out of it but um yeah media you're right jaws and all that sort of stuff definitely but na- nowadays there's so many positive voices for sharks um but one of the negative ones can can be media and mm. uh i get it i get it because they're a business and if they don't use this sensationalist fear-mongering nonsense their competitor will and will outperform them um so i kind of get it but also that, that 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 to me says something's fundamentally broken there you know what I mean? Like mm. commercial interest should probably not be driving news or journal journalism decisions. So, yeah, I, I think it's more a, more an indication of a, of a of a larger problem of a broken system rather than just pointing at anyone who works in the media and go, every journalist who's ever written about sharks is is a jerk because mm. I, I just don't think that's correct. Yeah. Okay. No, fair point. Mm. Uh, but there, there is a problem coin. higher up. There is a, there is a problem higher up, like that whole that whole culture of if it bleeds it leads, and mm. we'll say anything and sensationalise anything to get more views and, and and sell more ads. Like that's the problem. Yeah, it's literally clickbait, isn't it? <laughs> it is, it is, yeah. and that's the age we live in. And and you know when you've only got a, like a handful of people owning pretty much all news in a country, mm. like who's going to hold them to account? Yeah, politicians so. are all politicians are all shit scared of them. Yeah. So they're not going to do it. Yeah. Anyway, that's a whole maybe a whole <laughs> podcast, whole podcast on its own. We'll do another doco for, uh, focusing on the, the the bad side of journalism. <laughs> <laughs> G'day, Scooby Goat listeners. Rod here, producer of the show. I hope that you're enjoying this episode and that you're subscribed and following the pod on your favourite app. Please keep an eye out for the all new Scooby Goat website coming soon. Now back to Matt and the show. Um, going back to the uh, well, the politics behind it all, um, the section of government that look after the drumlines and nets are the fisheries department. So those people that are meant to be keeping humans safe and advocates for you know being heroes and relocating endangered sharks are actually fishermen. Well, yeah, I mean, what response if 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 beach safety, bather safety, surfer safety, whatever, if that's going to be put in the hands of a government department and that department is chosen to be fisheries, what response, what what program are they going to come up with other mm-hmm. than fish sharks? Like they've got they've got no other moves. That that's the only thing that's in their wheelhouse. Like, oh, you want us to be, keep keep people safe? Yeah, we'll kill a bunch of sharks. Like that that's that's their only thing that they're ever going to do. So yeah, you, you're quite right in that. Like, why is it even under that department? Mm. Shouldn't it be under the Department of Environment and Science or, or yeah, like I, I don't know the answer of where it should sit, but it sitting in in the Fisheries Department 
Like they don't have many cards to play. Yeah. Other than other than fish stuff and kill stuff. So yeah, I think it's um the program having evolved in the direction it has and, and and their defensiveness about it and unwillingness to engage about it is is a consequence of what department it sits with and, and why is that fisheries. It's just a hangover from when they were created, these programs were created in nineteen thirty seven or nineteen sixty two, like at the time seem to make sense like mm. let's fish a b- bunch of sharks and that should keep people safer mm. who better to do that fisheries department is that still the way to go now you know when we want to have non-lethals that provide a a better level of protection and b don't destroy the environment is the fisheries department the right department to run that probably not and then it, it goes without saying that you know if they're putting bait on hooks then the chances are if there's been a beach with an incident um, they're going to be chumming the water and these, these drum lines, albeit they say it's a long way from shore and it's safe, it's not a long way at all, is it? It's 500 metres, not, not, not <laughs> a long way. Like, uh, I, I don't, it, put it this way, this is, this is how to decide if it's a long way from shore or not. If I, apply, if I applied for a permit to run a shark cage diving operation 500 metres from a popular beach, I highly doubt I would get that permit approved because yeah. that would be seen as pretty stupid and dangerous to rock up with a boat, put bait in the water and, tr- and try and attract sharks to a cage for tourists to see um, 500 metres from Bondi Beach or 500 metres from Surfers Paradise Beach, that would be pretty dumb. Like I don't think I would get that approved, yet they do it every single day. Yeah. They literally have a contractor boat that goes along and rebates these hooks day after day after day, 500 metres from shore. In some cases, it's closer than 500 metres um, because they want to set them in a certain depth of water um and and if there's a drop off uh in some cases they're closer like snapper snapper rocks very popular surf break down at cool and gadda um i haven't got the tape measure out but they sure as hell look a lot closer than 500 meters to me they are literally right behind the surf break yeah Bait, uh, 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 baited hooks yeah so they're, they're baiting hooks which everybody knows that a, a shark can you know sense blood and distress and god knows what from miles away it's gonna draw yeah. in those species that they're trying to deter and they're putting it right underneath the nose of the surfers correct or behind the surfers back yeah, yeah yeah exactly right and 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 not only that not only the bait on the hook here's where it gets even more dangerous and something we were surprised really surprised to find when it gets even more dangerous is when a small harmless shark or a turtle or a dolphin gets hooked on that hook or tangled in that net because now not only do you have a piece of bait on a hook, a piece of chum on a hook, now you have a live distressed animal. Mm. That's an even bigger attractant to a shark. So the amount of times uh, we found evidence of smaller harmless animals having been predated on by judging by the bite size, a very large, very large shark mm-hmm. is mind-blowing like there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of documented incidents of it happening and some of them we just have comments in a spreadsheet um, that the contractor's written down that's what happened some we actually have images and video of this that we've obtained through freedom of information the amount of times small harmless sharks other animals that you don't you don't care being in the area like it's just zero concern to you have been caught and then have clearly going by the size of the bite mark attracted a much larger animal in for a free meal then that animal's in that area and having to swim around what else there might be mm. um it's it's stupid it is it is beyond stupid and it's ter- it's terrifying it really is like we're talking yeah great white size bites out of 
tiger sharks or great hammerheads. Yeah. So that that's what you're doing. And again, to reiterate, 500 meters at most. In some cases, they're closer. 500 meters at most from your most popular beaches. Like it boggles the mind. Yeah. It really does. It's ludicrous. It's ludicrous indeed. Um, what's the, what's the way forward? What should they be doing? Modernization is is kind of the, the the word we've come up with in our campaign to kind of summarize what should happen to these programs. So um, modernization meaning a transition towards non-lethal technologies, as in they don't kill animals, as well as more effective technologies. And usually they go hand in hand. Most non-lethals are, are, are more effective than than the current program um, because the program's not effective. The current, literally a non-lethal just needs to be somewhat effective and it's more, it's more effective than the current program. So non-lethals, drone surveillance is such a good solution in terms of spotting a shark, identifying it via its top-down profile, whether it's a species of concern or not, and then clearing the water. Um, it, that, that works very, very well on, on most of the New South Wales and the Queensland coastline. As you get up into North Queensland, not as effective because of water conditions and visibility. Yeah. Up there, though, you've got very sheltered bays. You've got very calm calm seas, so you can install barriers. You can literally install what people think a shark net is, which is a barrier to actually keep sharks away from people. Mm. Um, you you can install those, and, and they work perfectly in that environment. Visibility is not great, but it, it cr- creates a physical barrier between sharks and swimmers, the perfect solution for up there. Um, now, these barriers, they don't entangle and kill animals. They're harder. They're, they're flexible enough to move with the tide, um, but other than that, they're too hard for anything to get entangled. They literally are an exclusion, exclusion device. These are the ones As that well, are shown on the doco over in WA? So there's yes, yes. So the one I'm referencing for for um, North Queensland mm-hmm. is uh, yeah the one. That, there's already three of these installations in Western Australia that work extremely well. Um, uh, they're called Eco Shark Barrier. They're made in WA. They're a fantastic solution mm-hmm. uh, the, for areas with more swell and and might be like really heavy surf breaks or something like that. They're, they're possibly not as suitable there, although obviously they're working on it. But there, there's a different type of barrier coming out of South Africa, which is a form of artificial kelp. So mm. it basically biomimics kelp, um, a kelp forest, and sharks don't like to swim through kelp forests. Yeah. They they are worried that they'll get entangled. Um, so when you've got more swell, you can use a different type of barrier, which is which biomimics kelp. Um, just in case you've got a brave shark that doesn't mind swimming through this, it also has electrical repellents in them as well as kind of a, a, a double a double. Um, yeah, a, a, a second layer of protection, I guess. Yeah. Um, now, these have been tested on white sharks. So you have a box of chum and a real, real, really, you know, high level of shark attractant mm-hmm. um, on one side of, of, of this artificial kelp. And on the other side, you've got white sharks and they just they pace up and down and then they give up. They will not swim through it. And that's been tested and there's scientific papers about it. Um, as well as there's there's a place for personal deterrence. You know what I mean? They're wearing these electrical deterrents that can hang off your ankle or go on the bottom of your surfboard. Uh, that that's really good technology, and there's incredible video of sharks coming to investigate that electromagnetic field. They really really don't like, and they turn turn around, and they go away very very quickly. In it, most is, cases. it is pretty impressive to watch. Yeah. So, so uh, the, the, you know, that's that's the three that we talk about in the doco. There's there's, there's always more things being um, being investigated and being developed. We only put in the doco 
those that um, have peer-reviewed papers or were rated very, very, very highly by the government's own investigation report into alternatives. So only solutions that had the highest level of efficacy um, went in the doco. But there's other things as well. You know, there's there's, uh, that personal deterrent technology that um, currently goes on your surfboard or on your ankle. Mm. Uh, They've just, after the doco was finished, they've just created a, a, a net out of them basically. So again, another type of barrier technology where uh, it'll use electrical rep- repellent to keep to keep sharks out of a particular area. There's a shark bite resistant wetsuit now being developed and being tested by Flinders University down in down in South Australia on actual great white sharks. Oh yes, yeah. there's all yeah yeah. So it's um it's neoprene bonded with this uh, with this super strong material that uh, is still flexible enough to wear and. Um, uh, and doesn't get wet and heavy like Kevlar used to. People have tried mm-hmm. Kevlar wetsuits and they don't work. So it's this new this new blend and um, uh, the idea is that that it will stop bleed injuries, which is what you die from. The yeah. shark bite victim will bleed out. That's that's the cause of death yeah. all the time. Um, so it might not, the, you know, this wetsuit might not stop crush injuries because if a great white chomps on your leg, you're probably <laughs> going to have a bro- bro- broken bone or two. Uh, yeah. But the concept, the concept behind it is, uh, from speaking to the inventor again, this is not in the film because because this connection came about after the film was finished. Mm. Uh, from speaking to the inventor, the idea is to protect the femoral artery yep. and for people to not bleed out. Because I'd rather be in a hospital bed um, with a broken bone or two and alive than the alternative. Yeah. Um, uh, there's there's sonar repellents. There's, there's there's all sorts of stuff that people are working on. In the doco is only the highest, highest, highest rated peer reviewed science backed. Um, ones that are currently commercially available. Mm. There's always stuff coming, and, and and one thing we know for sure is um, is is there'll continue to be more. And the other thing we know for sure is what's currently in the place doesn't work at all. Mm. So wh- why why not move to these new things? Mm. And the why not? The only answer to why not is political fear. Yeah, and that political fear stems out of you know three years from now I'm going to have to try and get another four year term and. My budget can't afford it. Well, actually, it can. Had this exact conversation on a, on a n- another interview just the other day. Mm. In that, that this thinking, this decision making in four years terms is is a, is fundamentally broken. You know what I mean? Mm. Like the furthest out that any politician is ever thinking is four years because that because they and that's on the night after they won the election. You know mm. what I mean? That they're not going to think further out than that. So they're not going to transition a terrible program that's ineffective and super harmful, they're not going to transition that without a hell of a lot of pressure, which is why we're here. Mm. They're not going to transition that to a more modern, better program um, because they're not, they're not thinking about the future. They're thinking about the next election and no further ahead. Mm. And money. And money. Exactly right. But having said that, this, this doesn't make the doco, but you can check it on, out on our website. Uh, ourselves, Sea Shepherd, Australian Marine Conservation Society, Humane Society International, Ocean Impact Organization, bunch of us got together, sat down around a table, uh, and we actually costed out a modernization proposal. So we went, okay, what we're advocating for, how much is it actually going to cost? Because you're right, it does come down to dollars. So we looked at every single beach. We did it only for Queensland initially. Uh, we're still going to do New South Wales. We did it only for Queensland initially. We went from Cairns all the way down to Coolangatta. Mm-hmm. Every single beach that is quote-unquote protected by shark nets and drumlines. I hate that terminology because uh, there's no protection, but how many it's is, the government terminology. How many is, how many is there? 
or the exact number eludes me, but it's around 50. I want to say it's around yeah. 50 beaches or something like that. So it's quite, quite a few, like uh, might even be slightly, might even be 60. Anyway, it's in the modernization proposal. Mm. And we literally go through beach by beach and go, okay, what works here? And we didn't make it up ourselves. We went to this report that in 2019, the Queensland government had put together to look into alternatives. And we picked only the best, the highest, the most peer-reviewed solution for each area Mm. that was suitable to the area. So, for example, drones don't feature in North Queensland because the issue I mentioned earlier, which is is visibility. Barriers... Barriers sometimes don't feature at the heaviest swell, like the, the, the beaches where they'd cop the most battering because, you know, it, would they would they survive? Would they not? You know, we mm. don't know. So we, we went conservative. We went conservative. Like what's clearly the best option here uh, without taking risks? And we costed it out the whole way down the Queensland coastline. And the answer you come up with is, A, again, I've got to reinforce this, you're getting placebo equipment that does nothing out of the water mm-hmm. and you're putting something that actually is going to work. Uh, in the water first of all is the result you get second of all the result you get is after upfront infrastructure spend and i'll talk about that in a second because there's a cost to drones there's a cost to installation of barriers Mm. after that upfront infrastructure spend you end up with a program that costs half as much than the current program the current program's around nine million dollars a year in queensland Mm -hmm. in operating expenses Um, we costed it out including salaries of drone pilots and training of drone pilots and area managers for drone pilots and blah, 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 blah. It's well thought thought out and thought through. Um, the program would be about as half as much to run. So it will be around the $4 million mark to, to run the program, $4.5 million mark. Um, and that's after an upfront infrastructure spend one time of buying your fleet of drones and blo- installing all your, sh- all your shark barriers mm-hmm. um, of, I forget the exact amount, I should probably know it off the top of my head, but it's around $30 million. And, and, and we pitched that at the time. We did this quite a while ago, like when the pandemic was first starting. We pitched that as a COVID recovery thing. Like you're, you're building assets that for when tourism returns, they, they pitch you as the world leader in shark mitigation by having built these assets. You're creating employment to, to build this infrastructure. And then once the program's running, you're creating ongoing employment for drone pilots and managers and blah, blah, blah. So it, it, this program would be more effective, cost half as much money after that upfront spend, and um, create way more jobs than the current program. Like there's about 40, 40 drone pilots in that, mm-hmm. uh, plus area managers, plus, plus, plus. Like it actually created a decent amount of, of employment too as, as a bonus. So everything was going for it, uh, and it didn't even get a response from the fisheries minister direct to us. It was obviously sent to him. Uh, we got we got not even the courtesy of a reply directly, uh, and then all we got is is him slamming it in the media, saying it's fanciful or it's madness or it's whatever whatever the hell he said. He's, he's um, yeah, I could go into my opinion on him all day and and how fit he is for office or not, but I won't. Mm. Uh, I think people can make up their own mind, but uh, yeah, not even the courtesy of a response, even though it's a well thought out plan with like the the best minds in this area putting it together based on their own report that they had commissioned into what the best alternatives to nets and drumlines are. And, yeah, it seems to have just gone into the uh, gone into the waste paper basket of the fisheries minister and he's had a crack at us in the media and that was it for him. So Yeah. And even though, even though they, they did have their own internal review, uh, remind me if I get it wrong, I apologise, but didn't they get a, a review paper that said what you've got at the moment is 
ineffective. And if you take it out, there's going to be no difference to the safety of people on the beaches. So that was said in a court case, yes. So um, slight tangent now, but Humane mm. Society International took the Queensland Department of Fisheries to court to stop them running this program in the Great Barrier Reef Marine Park. Mm. The way they were legally able to achieve that is the Great Barrier Reef Marine Park Act specifically says it, the number one mandate of this act is protect the biodiversity and environment and, and conserve the reef. So HSI's challenge uh, was that running this program in that marine park goes against the mandate of the act. Mm. They won. And the reason they won was twofold. They were able to prove that it was harmful to the reef and the environment, and two, they were able to prove it was ineffective. And the bombshell moment of how they were able to prove that it was ineffective was Queensland Fisheries' own expert witness that they had called mm. that sits on their scientific working group was asked point blank, blank on the stand under oath, if this equipment was removed tomorrow, would it make any difference to human safety? Mm. And the answer was no. <laughs> and that's the first time that's ever been said or admitted. And it takes being under oath for it to happen. Yeah. So, again, telling. When you're not under oath, the Minister the minister for Fisheries will happily put out a statement or um, go, on TV, uh, go on TV and say, you know, we put human lives first and the human safety is the absolute priority of our program and we're not going to change it. Um, but you put a scientist uh, who knows what's what under oath and ask them if it works, a scientist who's aligned with the program mm. and the department, and that's the answer you get. No, it doesn't. Mm. And I think one of the one of the big things I'm going to touch on in the introduction to this um, episode is education and raising the awareness. And I think and I hope that your doco is going to certainly open a lot more eyes on this subject because if we only think back within the last year on the global uproar of fishing and, and sharks, et cetera, and, and looking towards the Chinese fleet in the Galapagos, how many people got on their soapbox about that? And yet a lot of those people probably are completely oblivious as to what's happening off our own coast here in Australia. Exactly right. This, this, this film is just a tool for awareness, and I think from awareness comes outrage. Yeah. The two things go hand in hand. If you don't know what's happening, which I grew up here and I didn't know until I was mid to late 20s, if I didn't know, I, I'm certain that not 90% of society doesn't know either. Mm. Um, so step one is awareness, and we hope to do that through this film, and that's the importance of us getting it on a, on a popular streaming platform, and that's the importance of some of the decisions we've made around our branding, branding and our marketing material. It's got to be appealing to your average Joe mm. sitting on the couch having a scroll through the streaming platform and going, that might look interesting. Yeah. From there, it's then my job as the director to engage them, keep them watching the whole film and um, uh, and get the message across. And I hope the film does it. And, and if the film does it, in what timeline, who knows, we'll, we'll, we'll be playing our part to make sure it's as fast as possible. But from there, things should take care of themselves. Mm. Once enough people know the nonsense that's going on, and the harm it does to the environment and the waste of money that it is and that their politicians are pulling the wool over, over their eyes. From there, I, I think things take care of themselves. People won't stand for it. Um, so you're right, like the Galapagos thing, um, you know, in the day now of social media, days now of social media, that news can spread fast. Mm. That look at this giant, you know, ghost fleet just destroying this beautiful area and there's outrage about it. And hopefully that facilitates change. And, and this is the same version of that. Mm. This is a documentary going, look what's happening off your popular beaches. Did you know? And everyone goes, holy, no, I didn't know. That's some 
grade A BS. Yeah. Um, we should do something about this. That's that's the concept. Yeah. And it, it's you, you do put it together extremely well. I've, I've said it a few times now, but um, it's a doco that I'm going to watch several times, and I'm sure I'm going to refer to it many, many, many more times in episodes to come on this podcast. That's for sure. Yeah, I appreciate that, and it's 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 hard. It was hard work, and I have to admit, I got narrative wise in that keeping it con- compelling and keeping. Uh, the story moving along and having that right balance of science and emotion and stuff. I got myself tired in 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 pretzels a little bit in the editing phase. Mm. Like I just couldn't see the forest for the trees anymore at some point. Yeah. Uh, so I had a had a had a consulting editor come in and kind of that that was a godsend for me. You know, it, it didn't need much. He was just in for I think a week or so, yeah. but kind of got me out of that. You know just lost like i didn't i didn't know what direction i was looking and and what's compelling and what's not and what's important information and what's just noise because uh, you've been in it for so long and so deep um it's very very hard it's very very hard so um you know in future you know at one point i hope to not need that second set of eyes but um it, that was vital on this project because yeah. yeah like i said we were tr- we were tired in pretzels in terms of narrative but he added so much value and i think he he, he um I wouldn't say single-handedly, but played a big part in making it as co- as compelling uh, as it is. Yeah, oh, good on them. It's teamwork makes the dream work, you know. Um, anyone who's stupid enough to say that they know it all and they don't need any help, then they're definitely doing something wrong. And yeah, I think, and I think with creative stuff like this, and you know, I'm not your traditional creative. I come from a business background and approach things a little bit differently. But um, I think your traditional creative sometimes, not always, they get a little bit like that you know mm. they know best and no one can do my creative vision like me <laughs> or whatever it is but like no the one thing you learn in business is like you need good people around you and um you all your people around you should probably be better at this particular area of expertise than you are mm. um and, and yeah that was definitely the case with our consulting ed- editor matt who came in like he 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 had a better grasp of narrative and audience engagement um than I did at the stage I was in the project and he just reset us and set us on the right direction. And, um, yeah, there's, there's a million, there's, there's a million examples of that through the process, but yeah, you've got to lean on people that are better than you and not be scared to, to do that. Mm. You know? And I think, I think people only avoid that out of ego or not wanting to be seen as inferior or needing help or I don't know, but, um, yeah, there's one thing I could say to aspiring filmmakers. It's don't, yeah, don't, don't be that guy or girl where you think you know everything and, you're the creative maestro, like use use people's expertise. Yeah. There's always some bigger and better than, <laughs> that knows a little bit more than you, so use it. Mm. So um, how did you feel, uh, you know, this is not a small doco and it's not going to a small audience. How did you feel when you actually launched it, when you first clicked that button and said go? <laughs> that, is a gr- that is a great question and, again, probably requires a podcast on its own. So, so the worst <laughs> – the the oh, the most difficult period for me was um, late last year when the film was was done, but we knew it needed a little bit more refining. Possibly was we did some preview screenings. Hmm. Um, so it was a cinema on demand model, meaning people would buy tickets, and if it passed the tipping point, the screening would happen, and if not enough tickets sold, it wouldn't happen. Those screenings for me were like one of the bottom five things i've ever experienced in my life they were just it was horrible it was horrible seeing what you've pictured and worked so hard on for so long 
up on a big cinema screen. I remember the first one um, was a, not IMAX, what's it called? VMAX screen mm. at an event cinemas. The first one was on a giant VMAX screen and it was, oh, I felt, I felt two centimeters tall. It was the most horrible <laughs> thing seeing, seeing your work up there. And like I said, like you, through the editing process, you've seen it a hundred times already and you know where every mistake is and every, every shot that could have been slightly different and slightly better and, and um, but you know all those things and seeing it on a massive screen was pretty hard. <laughs> I didn't enjoy that at all. Um, there was not a lot of sleep that week. Um, and, and I had to leave. I, I had to leave the cinema at times. I couldn't. I couldn't deal with it. Uh, but we then, you know, refined it a bit, made it better. And I, I, ca- I came. What helped was the response from those. So the overwhelming response from people walk out the front, and I was probably already out the front because I didn't want to watch it again. <laughs> uh, and people say, "Wow, like I had no idea that was going on. That's incredible. What the hell?" But like that response is it really made me feel a lot better. Because at the end of the day, if an impact doco achieves impact, it's worked. Yeah, it doesn't matter what you with or your ego thinks of you know the quality of the shot or what lens you shot it on. Or none of that really matters um, if an impact doco had impact. So that made me feel a lot better. Then we went back, we made a few tweaks. There's, there's a few subtle changes to the film with stuff that I, I literally could not bear looking at on a big screen. <laughs> like that shot's got that shot's got to be changed, or we got to fix up the color on this shot. Like there's a few little changes like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this time, second time, it's actually going out to the world in a in a much much bigger way. Like the day it went live on Discovery Plus over in the US, or this round of cinema screenings that just happened, I feel a lot better out of, about them because. Um, I think I've just gotten over the fact of, of all the things that I, with my critical eye, see as little imperfections. Um, I've gotten over that and I've realized that, wow, people like really, really like this thing. And um, yeah, like I said before a couple of times, if an impact doco has impact, um, it's done its job. So yeah, that's made me feel a lot better. But uh, yeah, that first, that first to go re- circle back to your question, that first night of like, it's about to hit play in a cinema um, and I got... 200 other people in here watching it that was not pleasant i have to be honest (laughs) and i actually googled it after to see if this is normal like i went online and i was like uh, anyway so there's long story short i found articles about a lot of actors that for their premieres they will do um they will do the red carpet and pretend they're going to watch the film and then they sneak out the fire escape because they can't watch themselves (laughs) and i was like (laughs) and then i was uh, i felt a bit better about that too i was like thank god it's it's not just me it's not just me that can't stand watching their own work so um (laughs) yeah i felt a bit better but uh it seems to do its job and um and it is a good it is a good film go and see it so i feel like i'm talking it down too much am i no no you're doing a fantastic (laughs) job mate talk it up (laughs) in fact it, it doesn't need talking up it just needs people to be aware it's there and they'll watch it i mean it's 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 awesome yeah thank you thank you i I feel like um i feel like i'm a little bit too honest on these things sometimes Mm. and my distributors probably when they hear this they're probably going to call me and go would you stop talking down um (laughs) i just (laughs) i just uh look your average joe won't notice any of the stuff it's just i i i have a hypercritical eye for detail Mm. on every shot um so yeah no I'm, I'm probably over exaggerating it but yeah in the interest of transparency and being honest and making this a genuine chat it, it wasn't pleasant to watch uh at how wide's a cinema screen i don't even know i probably should know that <laughs> it, it wasn't ple- it wasn't pleasant watching it at that scale first time around yeah no i feel you yeah. I, mean, I do a fair bit of editing with this when 
the producer's not doing it and obviously underwater videos and, and photos and all that kind of stuff and you produce stuff and people are like, oh, wow, that's awesome. How do you do that? It's fantastic. And you can just see that little fleck of dust in the corner or a little bit right. of discoloration and you know it's there. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. And then even the process, like, you know, you know, like there's a, I don't know, there's a drone shot and it's incredible. Like, don't get me wrong, it's incredible. You know we had a slightly better take of it, but then the wind hit the drone and had a little wobble and you couldn't use the shot. Like, yeah. Ah, there's even stuff like that. But um, anyway, that's just, uh, I think, yeah, creator being hypercritical. But, um, but uh, yeah, I think it blows the socks off most people that seem to see it. So it's done its job. Yeah. It it's- will do its job. I'm confident it will do its job, I should say, because until it creates change, it hasn't really. Yeah. Engaging the audience is step one. Step two is actually ending or modernizing these programs. But I- I'm confident it might be the, it might be the, kindle uh, the, the kindle is that what the word i'm trying to say kindling kindling yeah, yeah. um it might be the kindling to get that fire going for change yeah. um so yeah well if we can help out in any which way possible we will and um all the guys that you had on the show if they want to come on the podcast and talk about the individuals that they do and and their involvement in the show as well just tell them to hit me up brother and um i can put them out here and we can get it out to the masses as much as possible Beautiful. No, I appreciate it. And thank you for having me on. And, and Jono, you know, it's just how we connected, having him on. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot of people. Uh, I think that's the important thing to mention too. It's like Jono's, Jono's the one that's out on the water every every weekend or every second weekend, yeah. and, well, until they put this law in place to, to stop him. Um, but, you know, they're out there seeing this horrible work and doing this horrible work every day and have been for years and years and years. You know, we're, we're just – I'm just a filmmaker who compiled it into a 90-minute narrative to make it compelling uh but yeah we're, we're we are not by any stretch the heroes of this story it's it's the people in the film on camera that's why i'm intentionally not on camera because mm. i don't i don't want to put myself in that category um well I, i'm gonna have to stop you there because um i'm a my background is is military background it's all about teamwork and mm. um i'm gonna err on the side of your team behind you saying don't play it down don't play yourself down um, what you've done, pooling the people together, bringing the information together, bringing the facts forward and making it a compelling story is um, arguably the the hub of the whole project. So you are part of that team and your part might not be out on the water, but what you're doing is just as important as, as what Jono's doing out on the water as well. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate it. And I just hope I do them all justice. Um by you know this this inspiring change that's you know yeah that's all that's all i want and and i'll be a very 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 happy man if that happens me too me too i'm keen to watch it go forward and and see your successes lovely thank you happy days and on that note andre i think i'm going to round it off because i'm starting to get cold here in sydney and i need to put the heating on and get a brew <laughs> too easy it sounds good i'm overdue for lunch too so it works for me but uh yeah thank you so much for having me on um uh, i'll definitely put that offer out to any of our cast and crew who might like to come on for a chat and yeah stay, stay in touch don't be a stranger happy to chat anytime again in future but yeah thanks for letting me speak to your audience and uh, yeah, let's um, let's get behind this and, and get these programs modernised. Well, let's sort out links and bits and pieces like that after the show, and uh, I've got a few links that people might want to ask you questions as well. Yeah, beautiful. Sounds good. The main thing that I will mention here and the rest we'll put in the show notes mm-hmm. is envoyfilm.com.au forward slash act now. 
that's the actions that we want you to take, which is petitions and signing up for protests and stuff like that. Um, so, of course, go through the, you know, go see the film, follow our socials, blah, 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 blah. But the main thing, which is the call to action at the very, very end of the film, spoiler, <laughs> not really a spoiler, um, is go to envoyfilm.com.au forward slash act now and, and do those actions to, to make our dissatisfaction with these programs heard. Yeah, fantastic. Andre, once again, it's been a pleasure having you on the show, buddy, and uh, I wish you well for the future and stay in touch. Let's get some uh, some action occurring. Lovely. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate your time. Appreciate you having me on. Have a good day, everyone. See ya. Bye-bye. This is Scuba Goat Under the Sea, the podcast for the inquisitive diver.